You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Yep, Tommy's here. Aaron's here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Um, we're going to... I saved a couple of topics for Tommy today. One is the tragic passing of Pernell Whitaker, uh, which Tommy will get into later on. And also, I passed on doing the NFL 18 games, but each player can only play 16 of the 18 idea for you today, which I do want to get into because I think it's one of the most absurd things I've ever heard of. Um, And there's some Redskins news today, which we will get to as well. But before the show started, as has been the case, I don't know, a dozen times over the last year, somehow the conversation turns to the office. Yes, this has happened quite (laughs) often while we've been warm enough for a show. Right, and Tommy reminded me of the story recently that came out that The Office is going to be off of Netflix starting in 2021, I think. So it's another year plus. Beginning of 2021, yes. And so I suggested that I might just record all of the Netflix episodes. And Tommy said, well, you could do that on Comedy Central also. Um, But I told him something that you did not know. I didn't realize this. What I said to him was that the the uh, the shows that air on television actually are a bit shorter than the Netflix versions. There is typically a scene, at least one, that is cut out for the purposes of fitting it into a half-hour window. I don't know why that would be because the show was originally on television, right? Yeah. So, but I... I well, I'm sure they probably run more commercials and reruns. I picked up on that on a couple of different episodes. One was Phyllis's Wedding. You know Phyllis's wedding. Oh yeah, Niagara Falls. No, 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 no. no, no, no Niagara Falls, Jan- Pam was, and yeah. Jim. No, yeah, Phyllis's is, wedding was was to Bob Vance from yeah, Vance Refrigeration. Yeah, the, the uncle who Michael uh, Dwight who's got out. dementia that Dwight kicks out thinks he's a wedding crasher, yes. and then uh, and then of course Michael is that is as uncomfortable as Michael Scott ever is. Scott Scotts. Yeah, exactly. No, Scott Sauce is worse. That's but. worse. But but just saying, you know, the whole sit down with Phyllis where she thinks, where he thinks she broke wind, you know, <laughs> that is uncomfortable. And then him trying to be a part of the bridal party, which he was, so that she could get, I believe, extra vacation time. Um, and then making a speech, it was just awful. But in that episode... Uh, over the weekend, and I just picked up on the fact that the Netflix version is a little bit longer than the television version, which is why if I end up recording all of them, I'll do the longer version shows. By the way, it's just going to Amazon Prime, right? It's not... No, it's going to Disney. Oh, it's yeah. Go- so what does that Disney's mean? Disney's going to start their own streaming service. Oh, so you'll have to stream it. Well, you, it'll be like it, Amazon or It's just or another thing Hulu. you have to buy. Yeah. It'll be another app on your on your TV. Can you just get it on Blu-ray? <laughs> the series? <laughs> Do you have anything I think that you can, can play on Blu-ray anymore? No, not I think anymore. you can get it on VHS. Yeah, we might be able to get it on beta. Yeah. Um, so anyway, in Phyllis's wedding, um, in that episode, there is a scene, if you recall, that part of the show is... Pam's, you know, true beginning. You, you start to see the true jealousy of, of, uh, of, of Jim and um, and Karen together. Yes. And there's a scene where they're at the bar, and Pam comes over, and Jim is standing there, and they have a conversation about her being a dorky dancer or whatever. That was not on the television show. 
because it was on the other day, and I remember that scene um, because it's it, that relationship, such a great re- relationship, and you and I both love Jenna Fisher. Yes, um, but the um, that scene was not on the TV version the other day. I watched it. It happened to have been on. I don't know what time it was on. Late afternoon over the weekend, I think. And I was sitting there watching it, and that that scene was completely cut out of the show. And that's the second or third time I've noticed that about the television version. So there you go. Netflix has a little bit more content on their episodes. Well, you know what? It's kind of like having a a basically bank account worth, I don't know, billions, and somebody decides to slice a little interest off of it. (laughs) You don't really notice it if you're watching a rerun. There's so much good stuff. Yeah, what's 1% of you? Yeah. I mean, you know, what? what's the big deal? Have you're, you ever gone on YouTube and watched the deleted scenes? I've watched that. I've yeah. watched that a lot. Because there are a lot of good deleted scenes. Yeah, yeah there, there's always some good stuff, especially with Dwight, uh, the, the deleted scenes. Can you say what your favorite Office episode is? We've done this. The Dinner Party is my favorite. Okay. Yeah, the dinner party would be my favorite. I think it's the funniest sitcom episode ever. I, I, I really think it's that great. You know, Rolling Stone magazine did a story on it. It was the 10-year anniversary of the dinner party episode about six or seven months ago. And there was a lot of discussion about it among the the actors. Um, and John Krasinski said that Melora Hardin, who is Jan, yeah. stole the show. And that she was pretty much the underrated... Um, actor in that show anyway, that her ke- that her chemistry with, with Steve Carell was yeah. a big part of the show, which I think it was. But he said she was just so hysterical, and she was not a comedy actor before that series began. Do you have a favorite moment? A favorite moment? Because I do. Tell me what yours is. Mine involves Toby. Toby of all was, people. He was great. My favorite moment is when Michael goes to New York to meet with Jan about getting a pay raise. <laughs> and and he threatens to, to, to not have sex anymore right. if he doesn't yes. get the raise. And Toby's taking notes, and he gives this thing... I just, I just want to, you know, it's, this is for the deposition. It'll be and a groundbreaking he, yeah, case. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I remember that. So that's well. my favorite moment that he was very, I think it was one of the, it's one of the great ensemble casts of all time Yeah. because is there anybody that you didn't think was really good at the role they played? I, I mean, can't think of anybody. Creed was unbelievable. And you know, Creed you, grassroots. Yeah. Played with the grassroots. Yeah. I mean, Creed was a great character. Creed, line for line, was the best character in the show. Uh, line for line, you know what? Toby may have been line for line because <laughs> he didn't have a lot of lines. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. I, I guess I wasn't the biggest Ryan fan. During and you the know, it's the funny show. because B.J. Novak is one of the, wrote a lot of the episodes. Well, so was Mindy Kaling, yeah. right? And yeah. actually, Toby. actually, Toby's Toby. what's his name in real life again? I I'm forget. I'm blanking on his name, but yeah, to- Toby, uh, Mindy, and B.J. were the three main writers. And then a lot of the them cast. ended up writing later yes. on, yes. including I think John Krasinski yes. wrote in, in uh, some of those uh, shows. But Ed Helms was genius, as yes. he's been in almost everything that he's done. There are scenes with Ed Helms that make me still to this day when I watch an episode that make me laugh out loud. When he is trying to determine whether or not he is gay or straight, <laughs> and he's talking to Jim, and he says, well, would you, you know, J- Jim says, well, you got to sleep with a man. 
Okay, I can do that. <laughs> no, you sleep with a woman. Uh, I can do that. You got to sleep with a man. Mm. And he says, are you available? Jim <laughs> goes, nope, nope. And it, that scene is great. Ed Helms is hysterically yeah. funny. Yeah, he, well, he was in he was in the, the Hangover oh, movies. Oh, yeah, it was great. You know, but uh, my favorite Ed Helms was uh, he on moments. The hang- was he a Hangover? Was the because he came in in year in season three. The hangover. So he what was came the timing in before the hangover. He did. However, the hangover came or came out right before he became manager. That's one of the big reasons he became manager. They were trying to capitalize on the hangover success. Oh, okay. Because yes. I know that forty-year-old virgin essentially came out simultaneously with year one of the office, yes. and that that's that they credited. 40-year-old virgin and Steve Carell's profile growing significantly from that movie for the network hanging in there through season one, which apparently did not do very well, to give him another shot because they thought that his profile would help carry it, which, you know, it did. My favorite Ed Helms moment, of course, was when he puts his fist in the wall. Oh, yeah. I mean, when he puts his fist, when he can't find his cell phone. With the Rockin' Robin uh, ringtone. After he's kissing it. up to Michael the entire yeah. episode. And uh, my favorite Ed Helms episode may have been, the, the, the this was a later one, the copiers. The, the copiers oh, yeah. that, that oh, caught on fire. Yeah, that was, that was great too. But, yeah. the, but the episode where he puts his fist through the wall and then of course has to go to anger management yeah. for, yeah. you know, a few weeks. Um, it starts, th- that, that episode is the one, correct me if I'm wrong, where Dwight, was quit because Angela, you know, had the stuff that was supposed to go up to New York and Dwight ran it up for him and wasn't there. And so he and Michael, and he ended up quitting and working at Staples, which is hysterical because one of my favorite scenes actually is when the guy says to, 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 to Dwight at Staples. So I heard you sold those two copiers earlier today. And he said, child's play, give me something hard to sell. But, um, I love the break room scene from that episode where she goes, where'd you work? Dunder Mifflin, never heard of it. <laughs> Have you ever heard of paper? Right, right, exactly. And then the but so uh, so um, Andy starts to completely kiss up to Michael with Dwight gone. Yeah, and drives Michael nuts. Yeah, and at one point Michael says, "How can somebody be so unaware, so self unaware, <laughs> whatever, so funny. lack so much self awareness?" Which was pretty okay. funny. It is the it's the great. Uh, By the way, okay. you never watched the British version. No, did I you? never did. Well, you should because well, that I, I generally don't watch Brit- British uh, TV. Tommy, Tommy, the two I seasons, with, the with two Monty seasons Python. of the British Office is as brilliant as the American Office. Okay, go ahead. Better, uh, better sitcom, Seinfeld or The Office? The Office. No, Seinfeld. I mean, I loved Seinfeld. I loved it. The Office to me. Well, here, here's. Why I would say this. I don't think that there's ever been a sitcom or any show that I have spent more time watching reruns on. And there's something, somebody wrote a story about what it is about The Office, that it's this this emphasis on the ordinary that makes it so um, addictive. There's an addiction thing with this show. It's become more popular, you know, since it Oh, I know that. Since but you know, you know what beats a show about the ordinary? A show about nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. You know what was one of my all-time favorite shows on rerun? And I'm just old enough to remember when it was on, you know, Saturday nights at 8 o'clock on CBS is All in the Family. Uh-huh. I think All in the Family is still... See, I don't think that aged well. I don't think it's it's that funny in reruns. I thought it was pretty funny in reruns, but it's really not on anymore, right? Oh, it's still on. I've, I've, I haven't I, seen I it in years. I think it's still on TV land. 
uh, one of the networks. Look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge Barney Miller fan, The Odd Couple, Mary Tyler Moore, all those are great sitcoms. But Seinfeld was was so creative. I mean, I mean t- to to consider some of the subject matter that they tackled. I mean, when Kramer, when they basically turned making a pizza into <laughs> arguing about abortion, right, and and got away with it, yeah, is just just remarkably creative. Are you a Curb fan or not? Yes, but I got tired of it after a while. Oh yeah, I I've, I was a Curb fan probably through the first six six years. Probably it's funny because I, that's exactly my thing. Through the I, like I was dedicated to it for those first you know several years, but I moved He's away from exhausting. it. He's exhausting. But he's pretty exhausting. But my one of my sons watches it. Is it on Netflix? Is that how he's watching it, or is it, I don't know if it's it's Netflix probably show. on Netflix. Um, but he he says some of the, the the recent seasons were brilliant, just as brilliant. Oh, the the last season of yeah. Curb was great. Probably HBO Go is what he's watching it on. Yeah. Okay, that's what it is. Um, I love Veep too. I think Veep is great. You know, I like Veep, but sometimes. That's another great ensemble cast. Yes, it is. But sometimes it's exhausting. All the dialogue is a bit exhausting sometimes. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, I love Aaron Sorkin as a, as a writer, uh, but uh, sometimes too much dialogue just exhausts me. I like a little slapstick mixed in. Yeah. By the way, when you mentioned the Toby thing, just back to the office for one more minute, and then we'll get to some of the things we want to do on the show. That that really was hysterical when he is you know walks out of that that discussion between Michael and Jan Michael <laughs> looking for the pay increase, yeah. but remember what started it was that um, Michael was um, uh, M- Michael had had come into the office wearing a woman's, woman's jacket, jacket. Yes. yeah, and it was and and they started to make fun of him. Um, Nonstop. Uh, yeah, that that was such a great episode. Such a great episode. Oh, the the other part of that episode, of course, is Daryl starts it off by wanting to pay yes pay raise because uh, Roy had just gotten fired for coming in and trying to try to, to beat, beat up, up Jim, Jim, but got pepper sprayed by Dwight. Yes, <laughs> and so Daryl felt like he needed to get a pay increase, and then Michael said, "Well, I don't even make that." Yeah. But the, that whole pro- process of Michael going through how to negotiate, you know, like all of these different steps where he's talking but not really talking yeah. is hysterical. And then once Daryl sees his paycheck, a copy of his pay stub, he starts laughing and taking pictures of it. <laughs> is that also yeah. the episode where Angela goes around to every person asking them for their, their recollection of what Dwight did? Because it turned her on so much, or yes. was that the, or was that the episode before? Been. It might have been. It was so, either that episode so, or the yeah. episode before. So tell me, I wasn't here. Tell me what happened. Well, I mean, Roy came in, he was angry, and Dwight came out of nowhere. She's Creed yeah. has a great line in that one too, just where he goes completely over the top with like, you know, says, you know, he comes in with a big gang, and then he comes out. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and then and then she looks at him and says, "What are you talking about? That's not the story at all." Now, what's um, interesting is they pick Scranton, and I've always said. I mean, this is why comedians will use Scranton in their comedy routines, because it's a funny name. It just evokes uh, comedy, the name Scranton, like Buffalo. Like Buffalo pa- is another funny name. Paducah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there's nothing funny There's nothing no, funny about uh, Chicago or Philadelphia or something like that. Right. But they picked Scranton, and, uh, you know, whenever I lived up in Scranton for a couple I of years when I went to school— so when they would mention Lake Scranton and stuff like that, I knew exactly 
what, what they were talking about, but they missed a golden opportunity for a great episode, a Scranton episode, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be done with this. There's a great song by the late, great Harry Chapin called 30,000 Pounds of Bananas, and it's a song. Harry of, Chapin, the, the, the Cats the in the Cradle guy? Yeah. It's a song about a truck driver driving down the hill. There's a, a huge hill that leads into Scranton on Route 307, yeah. and there's a real hairpin turn at the end of it. And it's a song about this truck driver carrying 30,000 pounds of bananas whose brakes, he, he ignores the sign about, you know, slowing down, and then its brakes don't work, and the truck goes smashing into the city and all 30,000 pounds everywhere. And that's probably, that's so identified with Scranton, at least for a generation of people, and the office should have, should have made an episode involving that. Like, have, have, the, have the story be true and have the truck driver be related to one of the members of the office. You know, that would have been a great, opp- great opportunity for an episode. Just out of curiosity, why, do you know why they specifically picked Scranton? Were there no. other reasons? I don't Did know. they ever say that it was because of the name? I, I or don't just know. because I'm, it's such an ordinary, you know, small to mid-market Place. How many people live in Scranton? Oh, I know, maybe forty thousand. Oh, I thought it was more than that. No, I don't think so. Oh, okay, maybe fifty thousand. Okay. Um. Well, that's really small town. Well, it's not in Pennsylvania. I mean, I what do you, how well, many do you think people do you think live in Wilkes-Barre? I don't right know. Right next door, probably about fifty thousand. Okay. All right. Um. I mean, more than that live in State College, but that's because of the university, right? Uh, all right. Uh, enough about that. We love the show. Um, and a lot of you do do you do also, I, I, I seriously, and I've said this to you a million times, but you ignore me just as you have done with game of Thrones, but you really don't you, you do like Ricky Gervais, right? Yeah, I like him. Okay. The British version is brilliant. And it was, it was the number one reason I stayed away from the office American version when it was on TV. I didn't watch it when it was on TV. I'm wrong about Scranton. What? Scranton has 77,000 people. Okay. I thought it was more than 40, but I still would have said more than 77. Okay. I would have thought it would have been a town of at least 100 to 150,000 people. All right. um, Let's get to some sports. Uh, There was some Redskins news. Erin Hawksworth, who I think is now with your radio station. Yeah, she does some work for 1067 The Fan. She came out with a report yesterday um, that said that the Redskins and Brandon Sheriff are far apart on a contract. Just... You know, we, we've talked about this for a while now. Um, her quote was uh, that she's got uh, a, a source that says the two sides are far apart on a contract extension. Also reported that Sheriff has been offered multiple contract extensions by the Redskins. Now, I mentioned last week, and it's funny because I think JP texted me and said, did you say this on your show today? And I said, yeah, but it's not news. This has been something that we've talked about, and I thought he had talked about and others had talked about, maybe even Chris Russell had talked about, um, that you know the Redskins had made an offer. I knew that they had made Sheriff one offer that was perceived to be too low by Sheriff and his agent. So Aaron's updated the story to say multiple contract extensions from the Redskins, but the two sides are far apart. Look, he ain't settling for something that isn't close to what Zach Martin or Andrew Norwell have recently signed for at the guard is, position. Is he a top five guard in the NFL? 
even if he's not top I'm five, you, you can make the case that he I is. I think you could. You could make the case, but you know, I don't, we none of us really know about guard play. But right. but let's just say that he's certainly in the conversation as a top five guard or on the verge of becoming that kind of a player. He is not at this point. He's making twelve and a half million dollars in this fifth year option that the team picked up. He is not going to settle for a team friendly deal. He's not going to do it, nor should he. Guards have recently gotten paid. Zach Martin got a six-year, $84 million deal last year with $40 million guaranteed. Andrew Norwell did the, the deal a year and a half ago or whatever, five years, $66 million. So if the Redskins are much lower than that, he's going to say, franchise me again, franchise me next year, and I'll take the average of the top five, which would be higher than he's making this year, or let me become an unrestricted free agent. I, this would be a mistake not to get this done. You know, we know what the cousin situation was, all right? And everybody's got their own feelings on that. Bottom line is, though, they didn't have any vision, didn't see when they could have locked him up for less and made him a bargain relative to the rest then, of the starting quarterbacks in the league. And then when they decided they couldn't, they didn't, didn't trade him for, some, didn't for trade some assets. Him. Exactly. Um, they have, however, you know, I thought when they went to Jordan Reed early and gave him, and I know that there was some injury history there. Look, there's some injury history now with Brandon Chair. Yeah. But I thought that that was smart. They did it with Trent Williams a couple of times. Um, Apparently not enough. <laughs> but you, you, I mean, I know it's guard, and I know it hurts to pay a guard a lot of money. But this guy is actually one of the best draft choices this organization has had in a while. Yeah. He's a team player. Uh, ironically, drafted to be a tackle. He's a mauler in the run game. He is important to your team moving forward. Uh, if they, you know, hopefully they don't have to pay him the Zach Martin deal, but if they have come in super low, I mean, that that one's on Bruce and Eric. Yeah, well, It's you, on them. You know, you, you understand, Kevin, that even paying Brandon Sheriff what he makes now, the Redskins have the most expensive offense I in know. the NFL. Yeah, a lot of that is because of what they've got invested in, in Alex yeah. Smith too. And 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 you're you know you're going to pay uh, a guard significantly more money when you're you're already overpaying for a mediocre offense. I mean that's that's kind of nuts. Here's the one thing that's an absolute sh to me lock. Unless he were to get hurt this year. Um, if the Redskins don't pay him, the market will. The rest of the league, someone will step up and pay him a huge contract for a guard in the 2019 free agent or 2020 free agency right. period. Somebody will. Look, he tore his pec muscle last year. They've got some experience with pec muscle injuries, yeah, including with, with Brian, as, as Arac our friend Vinny would say, Arapco. Yes. Um, you know, and it, it it impacted him every year. It seemed to impact him. Now he did pretty well in Tennessee uh, before retiring. You know, he's retired, right? Yeah, he runs a cupcake shop. I yeah, think. A cupcake shop with another player. Who's the other player? I don't. I don't know. They do. They do commercials that, uh, about their cupcake store for some kind of phone company or or tech company or something. Anyway, I, I personally, I think that this is a, a, pri a priority, and you've got to get it done before the season starts. You could get it done during the season. That could happen. There's nothing that says you can't. What's but, more important, that or, or making a decision on Trent Williams? 
well, it's, I mean, you could franchise Brandon Sheriff. Well, what, what's the decision? You're, you're give well, me uh, no, give me the your, decision your decision the team has on Trent Williams. Your decision is to either pay him his contract, pay him more money to keep him happy, or trade him. Um, my my position is I, I know I would you trade would him. trade him. Uh, but, rather, but I think rather I, than give him that money. Okay, so if you're not giving him that he's money, he's thirty. He's thirty one. I know and that Brandon Sheriff's twenty six or right, twenty seven. But, but again, I mean that's another ball you have to uh, bounce on the offensive line. By the way, you you mentioned Alex Smith. You saw he got the medieval uh, yes. device off off his leg. You know, I have an idea. What? I think that they should put it in the trophy case next to the Super Bowl trophies. Okay. And I think it should. I, I think I think Bruce Allen uh, can stand next to it and say, "Look, here's my trophy. Here's what we paid for. Here's here's mine right here. It cost us a lot, but look, <laughs> we got a trophy here. Look, I'm so happy for him. You know, the more I've read about this thing over the last you know couple of months, you know, his leg was legitimately in jeopardy. Oh yeah. I mean, he. The, it was a significant. It was a very serious situation. Well, look at the we, – we know that there were maybe at least several instances of infection right. that they had to go back in and, and work on it. Right. It was very serious. Uh, so good for him. And this is not, by the way, news that says, oh, well, maybe he'll have a chance to play in the second half of the season. No, he's not going to play. Um, in 2019, and more likely than not, I think most people that are in the know believe that he won't play again in the NFL. But as people who know him have said, you don't count that guy out because he is a competitive workaholic, and he'll he'll give it a shot to get it back into a position where he's got a chance to play again. Um, it it will be interesting given that he will be around this year, Tommy. What kind of impact he'll have on a young guy like Dwayne Haskins? You know, in the same way that, you know, we know Patrick Mahomes said Alex Smith was a phenomenal mentor and so important to him. Alex Smith has been in the system one year. Yeah. You know, more than Case Keenum's been in the system. And Colt McCoy's, uh, you know, competing to play. Alex Smith isn't going to be competing to play in 2019. So... Um, having him around, which I think they're expecting him to be around. I think he'll be around. Uh, would be a good thing. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy that that's off his leg and that his health is is great. And now you just hope that he's able to walk normally and run normally and, and hell, maybe even give it a shot to play again. That would be an, a miraculous recovery. What about franchising Brandon Sheriff? Well, that's the option the Redskins will have next year. Right. Yeah, so if they don't get a, a, a long-term extension done, they'll have the opportunity to franchise them. So, you know, that that's – I'm sure Sheriff is sitting there saying with his agent, really, that's your offer? Have you seen the guard contracts? No. No, thank you. We'll take the franchise tag or unrestricted free agency. Yeah. And, again, it's always this thing, and the Redskins have, have – you know, should have learned from this, but they haven't always made this mistake because they didn't with Jordan Reed, uh, Trent Williams, um, Ryan Kerrigan. But once you let a player that has talent and ability at a young age get near unrestricted free agency, you know what that player wants? Unrestricted free agency. So they picked up the fifth-year option to pay him $12.5 bucks this year, but they could have gone to him last year and said, we're going to give you a five-year, $55 million deal, $30 million guaranteed, or $60 million. We're going to give you $12 million a year right now. Lock it up. 
and and perhaps gotten a deal done. They, for whatever reason, they did not go to Sheriff early that we know of. Perhaps they did, but perhaps they've been too low. I heard that their first offer was not anywhere near in the ballpark what Sheriff and his agent uh, were looking for. Um, I want to get to this 1816 thing in the NFL, Tommy. I and and you've got some other things as well, but real quickly. Uh, a quick word about Window Nation. Window Nation right now has one of the best deals they've ever had. Actually, it's a unique deal that they've got going on. They've never done this before, and I'll get to that in a moment. The intense summer heat is back, causing your old leaky windows to produce unnecessary high energy bills, allowing damaging UV rays to fade your valuables and make your windows even less effective. Well, listen up. While the kids are at camp and families are taking vacation, my good friends at Window Nation, the ones with more than 80,000 satisfied customers, including me, and an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, they've got extra capacity right now. They've got to keep their factory busy, their installers working. So for the first time ever, in addition to one window free for every window you buy with no limit, no maximum or minimum purchase required on all style windows, now they're offering no down payment, no payment of any kind, and no interest for 24 months. Buy now, start saving now, and literally pay nothing for two years. Trust Aaron, Harley, Eric, all the guys at Window Nation. I've trusted them over the years. I promise you they will not let you down. Go to windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. You'll get one free window for every window you buy, plus no down payment, no payments of any kind, and no interest for 24 months. Call soon. This sale ends on July 31st. All right, so there was a story, Tommy, in the Wall Street Journal uh, yesterday about the NFL preparing to propose an 18-game season, which we've heard about for a long period of time. But in this wrinkle, each player is only allowed to play 16 games, obviously for safety concerns about what you know an 18-game schedule would you know wreak uh, havoc-wise on players and injuries and everything else. This is honestly from the Department of dumb ideas. This is a stupid idea. I don't know why you think that. I because think this is not an 82 game season where load management makes, you know, sense for players especially with an injury history. This is a scheduled rhythmic fall Sunday Sunday 1 o'clock 425 8 o'clock every game is meaningful every game you're giving it your best to win unless it's week 17 and somebody's already clinched or whatever and they've they're resting people you are now compromising the competitive aspect of this game by saying that your best players have to sit two games it's ridiculous increase the the roster sizes that's a that's a given with this. Well, they're going to do that Increase anyway, the playoff field uh, to seven in each conference, from six in each conference, to make sure that you don't have too many meaningless games for too many weeks at the end of the season. And let's move on. It, it's it'll make more money. It will which you share with the players. And Tommy, you know what it is? It guarantees that basically every team now is going to have a roster that plays a season that is equal currently to a team that plays two playoff games. It's not that much more football. I, I just, 
I, I, I'm sure someone will say, oh, we've done the studies on this. And we, for the teams that make these playoff games and play these, you know, 17th and 18th and then, then a 19th game and sometimes 20 games in a season if you're a wild card team and you made it to the Super Bowl, we've seen, you know, the percentage of injuries for that particular roster go up, you know, by this amount, by this percentage. I, I don't. Two extra games, increase roster sizes. It, you'll be able to do it with the with the money that you'll get from television networks because you've got two additional Sundays. Throw in another bye week. Give them two bye weeks during the season. Make it a 19-week season for 18 games. Do not put me into a position as a fan where there's a big game in late October, you know, between two seven and three teams or two six and four teams. Five and five teams, whatever it is, it's 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 an important game, and Team A decides this is the week I'm going to sit. You know, uh, Zeke Elliott. By the way, Zeke Elliott wants to hold out. Um, but Kevin, I, Kevin, the, the NFL is about giving, putting the best out there to win every game because every game matters so much. It's treasured. That's what's so great about the NFL. Each game matters. Kevin, if you look at uh, rosters of teams. Most guys do not even start sixteen. I understand games. that. So, so a lot the, of so this. So what's the reason? So a lot of so this. Why would you mandate it? A lot of it. No, it doesn't mandate you have to start sixteen games. It's mandating you can only start sixteen exactly. games. My point is, this is something that, for one thing, it's a starting point to talk about an eighteen game schedule. I think that's. I think there is some strategy here. I do not think right. they actually believe in but, this. But it is a starting point that at least gives them. Uh, the protection in talking with the union of saying, well, there's a provision in here to protect your players. The provision would be increased roster sizes. Well, I'm sure they're going to increase roster sizes too, even with this. But I don't think this is that far-fetched because I think for most teams and most players, this will take care of itself through attrition and injuries. I agree. So you don't have to mandate that 16 games is a maximum. But, but that, you're trying ha- to get the union to agree to it. and The union, the union needs- should agree based on the in, in, incremental revenue that will be generated and be put into their players' pockets well, based on whatever split they have. Well, I think I read that this will be another $500 million uh, for the NFL, is half it, a billion dollars. I, I would have thought it would have been a little bit more, but that makes sense. It's and, it's an you know it's an additional yeah. two games. Yeah, and and which I think the union gets a, at least fifty one percent of. They'll I mean, increase the players get probably they'll increase 50. the playoff field too. Okay, as part of that, that's my guess. Again, I, think, I think it's just a starting point. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't think it would be that difficult to manage. And as far as players' health. You know, I've heard people saying, well, now you're, you know, this 18-game schedule, uh, even if you limit it to 16, you're messing with players' health. You have people, you have players running around blowing their brains out who played 14-game schedules. Mm-hmm. You know, it do, the amount of games does not matter. It's the sport itself I understand that, that is inherently dangerous. I understand that. And, so and, why don't you advocate for, for a reduction in regular season games? Well, because I don't think that'll make any difference. And to be honest with you, with an 18-game schedule, I bet you you have less training camp and less practices and probably less chance of getting hurt in, in practice or training camp. So it, it, it may be a wash. I just – look, and, and here's another possibility. If you are in the business of making widgets – and your widgets are very popular 
even though people aren't buying them as much as they used to, they're still you still keep raising the price and people still keep buying them more than any other widgets around. But the people the, the amount of people buying them keeps going down. Wouldn't you want to say, Jesus, I better unload these widgets before the market falls out on the NFL? If the if you're an NFL owner, you're saying maybe you're saying we better squeeze as much as we can out of this sport before before the, the, the market starts to dry up. I know you think this is far fetched. I well, let me just take that path for a moment. If I felt the way you feel, I don't but that the sport has a limit on time left and I owned a team, I'd be looking to sell it right now. I'd be looking to cash in at some number north of two and a half to three billion dollars. Well, I'm sure the because the the there is an appetite. There is much more demand than availability. Yes. I agree. I agree with that. I, I agree with that. Even though attendance has been steadily declining. And ratings. I'm talking about from an ownership standpoint. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there's only 32 seats at the table. That's right. So I, and, if and, I felt the people, way you felt, I'd try to sell, and I own the Redskins, I'd try to sell it for $3.6 billion. Well, there may be another line of thought that thinks we better squeeze as much as we can out of this product because every day there's a story in the paper that, that, is, that is negative about what, what we're selling, and the cumulative effect of that and other issues are going to take their toll eventually. Let me just say one thing before I I continue with a couple of other thoughts on this. I do not think they're going to get an 18-game schedule. I used to absolutely think they'd be nuts not to and that it was absolutely going to happen because of the incremental revenue opportunity, the increased revenue that would come with two additional regular season games. By the way, eliminating, I think part of this would be to eliminate two preseason games. Um, and by the way, add another playoff weekend. You know, if you go to a seven-team playoff format in each conference, you know, th- based on that, you would essentially have the number one seed get a first-round bye, and the other six teams would play for three spots to advance to the next weekend. So you'd actually have the first playoff weekend would be six games, three in each conference. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you're adding a weekend and you're adding more games. By adding another playoff uh, a team to each conference, I think that would be a, a part of the the increased revenue as well. But I actually don't believe that it's going to happen. I think that the players and the union seemed, and I understand the safety issue and the emphasis on the safety issue, and they're going to, I just think, ask for too much. And the NFL is going to say, you know what? We don't need to fix something that ain't broke. 16 games ain't broke. We don't have to do this. And I think the players are going to ask for a bigger cut, bigger roster sizes, more health-related insurance and health you know, plans and, and um, you know, m- m- more taking care of older players down the road than they have, than the league has already. And I think the league will look at that and probably say, no, nah, we'll just keep it at 16 games. We're good with 16 games. But to me, Tommy, you can't cr- – you cannot tell – a team in a league and in a sport where each game is this 
this present, like it's one of 16, it'll be one of 18 if, if they ever did it. It's it's so treasured by its fan base because it's totally unique from, from the other sports. Football's totally different. Every single game matters. Every single game is played as if it's, you know, the, the season depends on it. And now we're going to get into late October, early November, and instead of Phillip Rivers starting for the Chargers against the, the Broncos, it's going to be Cardell Jones. Like, it's just, you're, you're diminishing the product. And then how are they going to sell that? But here's what you're, you don't, you also don't know. They may have provisions for certain posi- positions. Well, they, they didn't say that in the story. That, I know that. I know that. But they may have provisions for certain positions that don't have to fall under the 16-game limit. Again, I think, this, I think they are going to get their NT-game schedule. I think it's going to happen. I always and, felt and, that and, way. Now I don't. And the $500 million figure I gave you is based on the revenue they generate now. Right. The new TV money with... Uh, you think it's going to go down? No, I think it's going to go up. Oh, okay. I thought Be- you were going to no. tell me that you thought... No, no, no. With, with the addition of new players like Facebook, like Netflix, like DAZN, yeah, right. the big entity sure. out, out of Europe, with, with new bidders, I think, I think the TV money is only going to go up. So they'll, and and I, think, I think there'll be too much money at stake to ignore an 18-game schedule for everybody involved. I, you know what? However, that plays out is fine. This idea to me has no legs. You, you, you can't. Now, there would be some strategy there and some interesting conversation about when to start. You know, your when to bench your, if you have to sit your quarterback twice a year. Which opponents? I mean, maybe you know. Let's take the Browns from previous. You know, a terrible team. Do you take the risk? It's still an NFL team of not playing Ben Roethlisberger against the Browns. What about kickers? You know, are we going to see? We got to sit our, our best kicker in the league for two games. What about long snappers? We got to carry two well, long again, snappers I'm now. Sure, I'm sure that um, there will be a provision. And you know what we're else? Gonna we start, we're going to start our quarterback against some backup offensive linemen behind some what, backup offensive linemen. What it we just what we don't know the competitive aspect of the game. What we also don't know, and again, I don't think this is going to be what they ultimately stick with is is it is is it a minutes thing or is it a game thing it's a game thing that's the proposed i know that's well that's what the wall street journal says but what if you sit your quarterback four halves (laughs) well it it wouldn't be if you're going to go that route you might as well go plays because ultimately it's the plays it's how much are they on the field how many plays do they play so we're going to have play counts and you can't go over a certain number for the season i mean it's it, it changes the competitive. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I do. I think it's a, I think it's a huge deal, and I think I would be shocked if this ever actually came to fruition as you know a what? legitimate proposal. It could create new coaching jobs. Now you in addition to time management coaches, mm-hmm. now you're going to need roster management coaches to tell the head keep the head coach aware of of of, of players' limitations. Can you imagine too? I mean, just from a betting perspective, you'll have to have some rules for competitive reasons over when you're going to designate certain players as this is one of the two games he is sitting this yeah. week. If you increase roster sizes, if you add a bye week, you know, and you eliminate two preseason games because you know there are plays played in the preseason. 
You know, so now you're going to eliminate those plays. And I know a lot of the starters barely play in some preseason games. But if you eliminate two of them, there's a certain number of plays that they're not going to be playing, right? Certain There's a reduction wear and tear from the preseason. And you're adding two games. Basically, what you're saying is right now we're just going to have our 32 teams play a regular season that equates to what uh, eight of our teams play every year, which is an additional two games based right. on the postseason. And by the way, that data should be available. The data on the there eight teams every year in the NFL play at least eighteen games. All right, show me the data that says that those eight teams have an increased injury rate. That those additional two playoff games was much more significant wear and tear on the roster. Show me that data. That that we. It's not like eighteen games is new. Eight teams every year play 18 games. Four teams every year play 19 games. Right. No, not necessarily. Because you could, uh, I mean, the wild, if you're playing a wild card round, you are. But the two teams that get to the Super Bowl are playing at least 19 games a year. Where is that data that's, that tells us how dire the situation is for an incremental two to three games a year? Well, I don't think the NFL wants to do this. I think it's something that they felt they needed to to make to the union as an olive branch of caring about player safety. I agree. You can do that by increasing roster sizes and adding a bye week. Well, then we got to see and what eliminating they, two preseason now, games. Now, I, I think Demora Smith has come out on. I, 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 and add I some he, health insurance stuff then, and and future revenue for players that have issues with health, you know, r- related issues. Yeah, let's hold some bake sales for them. I think Demora Smith was on 106.7 The Fan yesterday with the junkies and basically said, obviously, and basically said the union is is not buying into this. They're, this is not going to fly as far as they're concerned. They have, but again, they've never wanted it. it. it it's it's posturing uh, at this point, and I think it's inevitable that 18 game schedule is inevitable. Let me just say this from the player standpoint. From the player standpoint, you play two more games. You if if it comes with an additional half billion dollars in revenue. What's the split right now? I forget what the split is, but I think the players get at least fifty one. So so it's two hundred and it's a quarter of a billion dollars to share with our players, plus more jobs. More if you yes, increase roster you have sizes. To increase the roster size. More jobs that are available for and for two games. By the way, if you do the math on eliminating two preseason games and adding two games it is not going to be what you think it is in play count. I know that a lot of the starters don't play in two of the four preseason games anyway. Some of them don't play at all, um, but some of them do. So that should be factored into it. I just don't I, – I want to know that when the Chiefs this year are playing the Broncos, not the best team in their division, but a lesser team in their division, I want to know that they've got their best players out there and, and, and are giving it the best chance to win the game. That's what the NFL is all about. You take your best players healthy. As you pointed out, this hasn't. most players don't play 16 games right. a year anyway. But um, – I don't know. I don't. I don't like it when I when I read through it uh, late yesterday. I was like, "This is never going to pass. It's ridiculous." But it would. It really would add some interesting strategy. Yes, it would to everything. Oh yeah. So you think there will be an eighteen game schedule? Yeah, I do. I always thought there would be, and now I. I don't think it's going to happen with this next CBA. I don't. I think the players are going to want too much. Um, 
All right, a quick word about stamps.com. No one really has much time to go to the post office. You're busy. Everybody's busy. Who's got time for all the traffic, the parking, the lugging all your mail and packages? It tends to be a real hassle. Stamps.com is perfect for small businesses like this podcast. It's You need stamps.com. It's one of the reasons 700,000 small businesses already use stamps.com because it saves time and it saves money. It eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all of the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your, compu- to, to your computer, that is. Whether you're a small office sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com handles it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. Post postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in the mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. It's a no-brainer. Saves you time and money, perfect for small businesses. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage, and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Go to Stamps.com, click click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in my code, Kevin DC. That's K-E-V-I-N-D-C. Stamps.com, Kevin DC. Uh, Nats and Orioles tonight. Big rivalry resumes, Tommy. I'm heading up to Camden Yards you? this afternoon. Yeah, for the game tonight. Do you know Absolutely. what? Absolutely. Do you know who might be going tonight? Who? Me. Really? Uh-huh. I won't you tell you. I won't tell you. Not? I won't tell you who I'm going with right okay. now, um, but I will be. Uh, I was told to sort of be on hold for potentially going to the Orioles Nats game tonight at Camden Yards, okay. and I've made I've made it available. So I may I may be going tonight. If I am, I'll call you, like you always do. You know, when you're at a game that I'm at, and we'll find a way to to have a beer. You know, two or three. I mean, I'm, I work when I'm at games. I don't have time for frivolity. <laughs> Isn't and, and it more fun when you just go to a game socially? You, you know, know, I may go to one. I go to one baseball game a year socially. Actually, one when you're working, it's game. social. Yeah, yeah. It's not look. It's yeah. my office is 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 the press box. It's not really work. All right. Gonna go to pickles before the game, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Love pickles. Um, I was reading something this morning about the Nats. Uh, it was in the post, and I'm just going to read this about the pitching rotation. Um, and tonight, by the way, uh, for the Nats, um, it is uh, it's Austin Voth, right, yes. who's going to get the start. But yes. with the Scherzer back strain injury, and he's you know on the 10 day injured list, um, Strasburg may start the game tomorrow night, which would be normal day's rest after the day off yesterday. But the Nats are having a conversation. Martinez said he's going to have the conversation actually with Mike Rizzo about when Strasburg should start because they'd like him to pitch in the Atlanta series. Yes. But here's the line that I wanted to read to you. It's a paragraph, actually. Strasburg strongly prefers to remain on schedule. After the All-Star break, he grumbled about the layoff, changing his approach and degrading his stuff. Quote, I'm really good when I have a routine. It would not be unimaginable for Strasburg to bristle at the suggestion of pushing his start back a day, closed quote. If the Nats decide not to start Strasburg tomorrow night, um, they may go to Kyle McGowan, who's in the bullpen, hasn't pitched in the season's second half so 
far, or they could call up Joe Ross. Is is it really that delicate a situation with somebody like Strasburg where one day could make all the difference in the world? And by the way, let me just say, if the, if it is true, start him tomorrow night. Keep him on schedule. He's been pitching great. Yeah, he has. But uh, look, pitcher, look. One of, the, one of the announcers on the Orioles broadcast is Jim Palmer. Jim Palmer was a great pitcher, but he was a meticulous whiner about everything. I mean, everything had to be just right for Palmer. And he had particular theories about pitching, and everybody was a dummy, and he was the smartest guy in the locker room. <laughs> now, I like Palmer, and he's great to talk to, but it's the nature of, of the beast. I mean, Scherzer, not so much. You know, he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. But most pitchers, you know, they, I mean, you've heard the stories. They wake up in the middle of the night. They, they check their arm to see if, it, if, if there's any pain or anything like that. So they think about all this. They, they, and they worry about any little thing. And Strasburg has been known to be a guy who, who needs the conditions right. Uh, now he's been very successful. He's been a very good pitcher for for the Nationals. But you know, dating back to the controversy in 2017 right. when he wasn't feeling well, and initially told them he wasn't going to make his start against the Cubs in, in that playoff series. Uh, this is who he is. So you're right. If 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 he's really bent out of shape about it, I wouldn't even think twice. I would just make it comfortable for him. Yeah, I you you, I mean the bottom line is this Atlanta series is important, but you've got fourteen left against yes. the Braves, right, Aaron? I it's agree fourteen. With you. I mean, one game isn't going to make a difference. You keep him. He's been pitching great. Yes. He has not given up an earned run. Um, since for, for well, it was well before the All Star break. I think it was two starts before the All Star Star break. I think I think I read that uh, this morning. Hold on, I'm going to pull that up just so I have that right. Here it is. So the the Philadelphia start from over the weekend: six innings, seven hits, no earned runs, and the start right before the All Star break against the Marlins: two hits, no earned runs. The last earned he gave up four earned runs in his start at Miami on June 27th. But still pitched seven innings, and and uh, I mean, just this guy. You have to. There are 162 two of these games. I would not get bent out of shape over having him pitch against Atlanta if it's going to throw him off mentally. I wouldn't and, even and again, think about. You know, it. it's almost like the Nats are putting extra pressure on themselves for this series against the Braves because the Braves are so hot. Yeah, in July. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think they have to go about business as usual at this point. By the way, how good are the Dodgers this year? Oh. <laughs> Their run differential right now is 148 on the season. They destroyed Philadelphia. 16-2 to two 16 to 2 after winning that Sunday night game um, against the Red Sox in, in extra innings. And they are 60, 30 games above 500 right now. Um, at 63 and 33, I was thinking about, you know, the, the potential postseason. And let's just say that the Nats, you know, if the season end, ended today, the Nats would actually, I think, face the Phillies or the Cardinals. I don't know who would win that tiebreaker in a wild card game and then would go to Los Angeles. The winner would go to Los right. Angeles. I, I know it's baseball and best of five. I mean, the Dodgers seem to be a juggernaut this year, like a, a team that is has sort of a destiny destiny with clearly the MVP 
in Cody Bellinger. Right. That said, if Scherzer and Strasburg pitch their best, the Nats have a 2 nothing lead in a best-of-five series. That's true. You know? Now, traditionally, Strasburg pitched very well uh, uh, against, the, against the Cubs in that 2017 series when he finally did pitch after he begged out initially. But Scherzer has not been that particularly great in, in the postseason. But that's when you've got to win the pitching matchups. You win the pitching matchups, you win the series, especially in a five-game series. And, you know, it's interesting. The Dodgers are always interesting to me because uh, their owner, uh, one of their owners and team president is Stan Kasten, yeah, I know. who used to be the team president here in Washington and uh, left as soon as he could to get out from under the learners. By the way, am I wrong about this, that Cody Bellinger's having right now one of the most incredible seasons in recent memory? No, yeah. I mean, people are arguing he right now, this season, season to season, he's right there with Mike Trout. Yeah. I mean, he's hit 33 home runs. And I know. He's on pace for, I think, 58, 59, 60, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, to people, guys tend to slow down yeah, as the season do. gets on. Um, you wanted to mention something about Pernell Whitaker. You know, George Foreman had this great saying about boxing. Uh, boxing is like jazz. The better it is, the less people understand it. That's Pernell Whitaker. I mean, he was like the Miles Davis. Is that Davis. Floyd Mayweather, too? And partly, yeah. That's the, he was the Miles Davis of boxing. Uh, and he paid for that. He was robbed of a couple of terrible decisions. One of them against Chavez was probably a Don King corrupt judging situation. But I was ringside in 97 when he faced Oscar De La Hoya in Vegas, and he won the fight. Uh, 14 out of the 20 five writers uh, at ringside, 24 writers at ringside, uh, had uh, Purnell winning the fight. And he got robbed in that decision because it's it's difficult. You know, I, I had somebody tell me, you know, it's hard to give a guy a decision when they're backing up. But that wasn't what Purnell Whitaker did. He didn't back up. He stood in front of you and made it impossible to hit him. And th- that that's the science part when they talk about the sweet science. I mean, the, the, look, the key, the, the best part of boxing for me is watching a guy not getting hit when you're standing right, when he's standing right in front of the guy. Is that really, him. really? Oh, yeah, to me, that's it. I love, Roberto Duran's my favorite fighter, not because of his, his knockout power, not because of the hands of stone, because he was so tough to hit. And he was slipped him. Yeah, too. I mean, but so. But was he, he wasn't. I mean, Duran wasn't the counterpuncher that Mayweather no, or Whitaker. No, were. but I mean, as far as uh, being difficult to hit, uh, practicing defense, movement, head right. movement, and and um, Mayweather was the best. And he got robbed of of uh, another decision early in his career in France against Jose Ramirez. So he always lived with this idea that you know judges who were judging his fights. Some of them really weren't equipped enough to recognize his excellence. And, uh, look, he was a part of that great 84 Olympic team with right. Vander Holyfield yep. and Mark Breland uh, that, that won gold medals uh, there. Uh, and he was probably one of the top two or three fighters of his time. So 
I know you're not a big Max Kellerman fan. I'm just bringing him up because he said something yesterday that took me um, aback a little bit. I was a little bit surprised. He said, he said Whitaker's a top 10 pound-for-pound fighter of all time. Is he? I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think about that. I mean, you know. I mean, just in those, cl- in the classes uh, that, I mean. Look, you have to go back to Henry Armstrong, who who won like five or six different, five weight classes, I think, uh, when weight classes were, when there weren't that many weight classes. You have to go back to Willie Pep, uh, a great featherweight fighter. Duran's in the conversation. Yeah, Duran is in the conversation. Ali's in the conversation. Sugar Ray Robinson's in the conversation. Yes, Joe Lewis is in the conversation. Joe Lewis is on, in the conversation. Uh, Henry Armstrong is in the conversation. Willie Pep is in the conversation. That's six right there. What about Ray Leonard? Yeah, Ray Leonard is in the conversation. Marvin Hagler? Marvin Hagler's in the conversation, right? And and by the way, wouldn't Floyd Mayweather be in the conversation if Whitaker's in the conversation? You know, I don't know if Marvin Hagler's in the conversation. Why? I don't even know if he's the, he's the, he's the best middleweight of all well, time. Well, Sugar Ray Robinson's the greatest middleweight of right. all time, right? Right. Would, wouldn't Hagler be in the top two or three middleweights of all time? Yeah, but that doesn't make him a top ten fighter. Right. I mean, look, I I, I think it's a plausible argument. You'd, I'd have to go through uh, my list of fighters, right. but but I I don't scoff at the notion that Pernell Whitaker is Joe Frazier a top ten fighter of all time. You know, it's funny because he's not, but God, he was so great. I just got done reading the book, a biography by Mark Cram Jr. Uh, called Smoke and Joe about Joe Frazier. It's a great book. I recommend it to anybody. And uh, you know, he was one of these fighters. Uh, where that uh, you know, because of his style, was going to be like a sh- uh, like a comet that just burned out quickly. Right, and he could only take a certain amount of punishment. Uh, but the punishment he could give out for a small heavyweight w- was remarkable. I don't know if I put him in my top ten fighters of all time, though. What about what about Mike Tyson? What about De La Hoya? What about no? I wouldn't put. De what La Hoya what about in. Sugar Shane Mosley? No. Okay. No. Um, Tyson, I don't know. I don't know either. You know, um, yesterday, a big topic, and I'm sh- sure you were glad that you weren't here to, to, to talk tennis for a half an hour. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, you know, I went through the numbers of this era of Djokovic and Nadal and Federer. Tommy, 54 of the last 67 majors in tennis have been won by those three players. There's never been a sport, I don't believe, in terms of numbers where the top tier have dominated for this long period of time. And I went through, you know, other and I'm talking and we're not talking about single franchise or sing- individual dynasties. We're talking about multiple players or individuals or teams. Like Celtics Lakers obviously in the 60s, but I mentioned and a couple of people followed up with me on Twitter and even added to the conversation that the bo- boxing in the 80s with the classes that were super popular, you know, from... I would even go to the lightweights with Arguello and with uh, Pryor to super lightweights to, you know, welterweights to middleweights. In that group of Leonard, Hearns, Hagler, Duran, that that was a top tier in a sport that was n- maybe not from a quantitative standpoint, but qualitatively... I don't know that that sport's ever been better than it was in the 80s. Well, I t- in terms of, of interest and popularity, 
Well, that was and great fighters. Yes, great fighters in those classes. Yeah, Duran. Oh no, no, no! But in in the lower classes, yes. But that's what I'm saying. In the the lower classes, not heavyweights. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. The '80s. I mean, it it does. I mean, Tommy Hearns. You know, there were there were so many great fighters then. Uh, Alfredo Benitez. Oh my God! Yeah, Papino Cuevas was a yes. great fighter. Yes. Um, I pulled up a list of the greatest middleweights: Harry Greb from 1913 to 1926. You you remember him? But Sugar Ray Robinson and then Hagler's third. Okay. And and every middleweight list I've seen Hagler basically in the top two or three with Sugar Ray Robinson, and also way up there is Bernard Hopkins. Hopkins is considered yeah. a top five middleweight. Yeah. Of uh, all time. Absolutely. Um. All right. Did you want to say anything about your column about Jack Evans and the fact that you don't think a stadium will be built in D.C.? Well, I mean, I mean, you felt that way for a while. Yeah, but I think that the death knell has has you do what was has really been struck. What do you know? Well, I look, I know that Evans was the point man with the Redskins of, about the stadium. I know he developed a close relationship with Bruce Allen to the point where where Bruce even organized a trip for city officials down to Tampa once. So they could see the complex that the Bucks have, where Bruce Allen used to work down in, in, in Tampa with the stadium and the practice facility there for for, for the team. Uh, I know that the what Jack Evans felt was the dividing the the division on the council for any kind of stadium deal. And let's be clear, any every stadium deal, none of them include paying for the stadium. Right. None of them include Nobody's that. paying for Dan Snyder's no. stadium. He's no. going to have to pay for his own stadium. Right. They, he just needs the land. Right. And, and this not only involved trans, transferring the land to him, but uh, the deal would be, as they've discussed it, is uh, trading value, valuable developmental rights that are going to be along the Anacostia there near the stadium right. to Snyder to, to develop the land uh, once the city owned that as well. But uh, I, I believe Evans thought that even if things went right on the council, it would be a seven to six vote. It would be a very close vote. And, and that, would, that would be with Evans using all his influence, which apparently he used very often based on uh, the investigations that are going on. Right. I mean, there's an FBI investigation going on, Jack Evans, plus the city council is doing their own investigation. So I think, look, Jack Evans has been, I think, a city councilman since 1991, uh, and you make a lot of enemies over that time. I like Jack. He's been very important uh, in terms of promoting sports in this city. He Remember was, he came out to something you and I did? What did we do that he showed up to because he listened to the show? That might have been with Carol, uh, Carol Joint. Oh, right. Yeah. The, the uh, Right. The Q and A cafe or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jack Carr, he came down. Look, Jack was instrumental in the discussions getting A. Poland to build his arena in downtown D.C. Although Mary Barry was very influential in that as well, but Jack was an important guy in that. He was extremely important in in the lobbying to get Nationals Park built. I mean, I don't think Nationals Park gets built without Jack Evans' power and influence. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the, the convention center he was very involved in, uh, you know, and but he saw it as the last piece, getting the Redskins back in the city. Right. I don't think that's going to happen. 
I think that uh, the, I think that Dan Snyder is going to wind up building this, building a, a new stadium if he does right next to the old stadium. I would be shocked if that happens. I I, I know that you have in, more uh, uh, insight on this, um, so I, I'm going to defer to some of it. I just still would be surprised ultimately if the stadium doesn't get built on the RFK site. Somehow they figure out a way to get that land to him. He'll have to pay for it. He'll have to build it. Um, but I, that's nobody wants to stand next to Dan Snyder on a dace uh, and say that we're in business with this guy. He's toxic. I know. I know. And for those of you that don't, that think that Tommy's exaggerating when he says that, you really have just been sleepwalking for several years. Nobody really wants to stand side by side no. with him and do business with him. No. Uh, but so, it mean, would be good for the city ultimately if there ended up being a stadium with a ton of retail and even potentially residential. Well, the idea, I, I mean, and plus you've got pretty strong community opposition from. Uh, in well, the, that well, area, the neighborhood for right. sure, and that neighborhood is a lot different from Massively when, when different. RFK when, oh, yeah. when the Redskins played there before. Yeah, it is indeed, and you have a lot of politically savvy people who now live in those neighborhoods who know how to fight these. You know things. what? That's a good point. I haven't thought about that, but man, has that neighborhood changed over the last twenty yes. years? Um, it is a it's a great neighborhood, and they want that RFK site, the whole thing, yeah. to be Rex and Parks. Yeah. All right. Um, enjoyed the office conversation. Yeah, uh, to start uh, the show that was fun. We you can know do what? that a little bit later on in the week too. If, if by the way, if you all want to weigh in on your favorite episode, you can tweet Tommy or tweet me, and we'll uh, we'll address it on Thursday. We could next time we can talk about other uh, uh, sitcoms like The Odd Couple. We can do The Odd Couple. I know which maybe. you which some people thought that you and I sort of resembled, but you <laughs> know that I was never an Odd Couple fan. Never uh-huh. watched it. Really? Never really watched it at all. I mean, what is interesting, because you mentioned Barney Miller, I actually did watch Barney Miller. And of course, the show that you and I love more than any other show, not named The Office, that I'm totally with you on, and for years I watched the reruns, is The Rockford Rockford Files. Files. Of course. Absolutely. Um, All right. Uh, If you're listening to the show on iTunes, rate us, review us, subscribe, helps. uh, Listen on thekevinsheehanshow.com as well. I'll be back tomorrow, and then I think we're going to take Thursday and Friday off this week. I haven't told Tommy that, but I have something to do on Thursday, so I don't know. Maybe you'll come in tomorrow. (laughs) Probably not, though. Um, Have a great day.